Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. So this morning, as we continue in our series, last week we talked about Mary, we talked about Zechariah and their encounters with the angel Gabriel as they had good news brought to them and the differences between their reactions. Whereas Zechariah responds in, unbe- responds in unbelief and, and the angel says, fine, if that's how you're going to be, then I'm going to shut your mouth until the baby's born. And so that was what happened. And so it's just kind of this like, whoa, uh, you know, you've prayed and you've prayed and you've asked for this. So when I come with the good news, like, hey, you're actually going to have a baby. And then he goes, no, I'm not. And he's like, Okay, fine then. Shut your mouth until the baby's born. And then, and then you see Mary on the flip side who, who is not asking for a child. She's not yet married. She is only betrothed to a man at the moment. And so she's, going, she's not asking for the child. And the Lord comes and says, all greetings you who are our favorite of the Lord, which is like a puzzling going, what have I done to receive such as greeting? And in her response is, whatever the Lord wants, whatever you want, Lord, let, me, let your word in me be fulfilled. And we see the difference in response that, that Mary shows us that, that as, as the Lord speaks, as he calls us, as he draws us to something and pulls us into something new, that our response needs to be whatever the Lord wants from me, whatever the Lord wants from me, I'm going to walk in that. And so today we're going to look at, at, at a different text and kind of a, a different story in a response to, to how uh, uh, the, the, the word was brought to and, and all of that. So we're going to look through um, Matthew chapter one, and we're not going to go through the genealogy. If you were worried for just a moment that we were going to talk about who beget who, no, we're not today. I want to, and we'll do that at another time. This is not the time today because it's not where we're going. So uh, as sad as some of you may be, um, yeah, exactly. Uh, we're not going to go there today. So, uh, but we're going to look at Matthew chapter one. So Matthew gives us a different account of the birth of Jesus than what we see in the book of Luke. Now, Luke, from his perspective, he had people that he could go to and ask and, and sort of interview and have conversations with right? Because he can get the details. He can go and ask Mary, what was that moment like? What happened? And she could then tell Luke in the moment, this is what happened. I was just doing my normal day-to-day duty. Last week we said she was probably doing laundry because that's what I heard a kid say she was doing. And so it just makes sense. Okay. So she's hanging out or whatever. You know, we don't know what was happening, but she goes and she tells, and so he can ask those questions and he could say, what really happened? Uh, and tell me about your, your you know, your, the Zechariah guy. What did the Lord do? They can have these conversations and ask, right? With Matthew, when he comes from the perspective of Joseph. Now, we don't know what happens to Joseph. Many theologians speculate that Joseph, somewhere in, during, before the ministry of Jesus, Joseph passes away. And we don't know what happens to Joseph. We don't know this to be factual or accurate. We, we don't know the outcome or what happens to Joseph. But he's only mentioned and, and talked about kind of in the beginning, in the early part of Jesus' life. But once we get into the ministry of Jesus, we don't hear uh, about Joseph or hear from Joseph. So it's speculated that, that he died somewhere in this process. And so we don't have a Joseph to go through and go to and ask. So Moses, or Moses, has nothing to do with this. Matthew, uh, Matthew does have a lot to do with it, but Matthew is relying then on oral tradition and Matthew is relying on eyewitness accounts. And so this is where we get this story. And so we see the story in the side of Joseph's perspective of the birth of Jesus. And, and what did he walk through? What did he experience? And, and what did he see? And so 
typically when we talk about the story of the birth of Jesus, Mary gets celebrated, right? And, and rightfully so. She is the mother. She takes on this, this, this child in this, in this pregnancy and she walks through this and she gives birth and she is honored and celebrated very much like it is in today's world, right? So husbands and, and fathers, you know that when your wife becomes pregnant and she carries this child and she gives birth, who gets all of the attention? The mom and the baby, and you're left to fend for yourself. It's not true. That's totally not true. Because as, as a husband or as a father, you go, there's not a lot I can do to help during the pregnancy other than like, can I care for you? What can I do for you? Because she's the one carrying the child. And during the labor, unless you are a doctor, you, there's not a lot you can do to deliver the baby uh, unless you go, well, here we go. It's, it is now thrust upon us and we have to deliver. I have a friend um, that they delivered their third child, fourth child, third child. They have too many kids. I don't know. I can't keep up. Third child in the car on the way to the hospital. He said he immediately took the car to be detailed. Um, shortly, that's a true story. His true story is like, he said, we got most of it out. And I go, sell the car, Chris, sell the car, right? No, I mean, so it's one of those deals where you go, uh, there's not a lot I can do in that process, right? So the mother gets celebrated, and rightfully so, right? Even post-birth, the most I can do is change a diaper, uh, now, there was many times that I would wake up at 2 a.m. with Lauren in the middle of the night while she would feed the child just for emotional support. Because at 2 a.m., we all need emotional support. Let's, uh, you know, if we, I heard an amen, and that's the truth. You know, so at 2 a.m., uh, husbands, if your wife is feeding a child at 2 in the morning, wake up and just, just like, encourage her. You're doing great. Keep it up. I, I mean, I don't know what... I can't help, but I can be here, right? It's that kind of deal, right? So there's only so much you could do, but, but nonetheless, the, the father tends to be kind of the, the other party, you know, the other member of the party, right? But Joseph gets his, his moment here to hear kind of his side of the story and what took place. And there's some great truths and some profound thoughts that we find here in the scripture that help us in, in our understanding, in, in our understanding of the Lord and our understanding of, of the connection between Joseph and Jesus and stuff. So let's look today into um, this story. And we'll start in Matthew verse 18. And we'll go to verse 25 today. And it says this, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then verse 24 says this, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. He gave him the name Jesus. So one of the most debated sides of our faith, probably the most debated 
portion of our faith and our belief is the immaculate conception. Even more so than the resurrection. People will go, okay, I mean, at least the guy was alive at this moment and we can come up with some way to work our way around trying to believe and wrap our minds around the resurrection. This is one of the most hotly debated topics when it comes to belief in Christianity and the faith. And they go, if this is such a key thing, I have a hard time with believing that somebody could give birth to a child who had not been, been with a man yet, right? And so this is this struggle and this thing that's taken place. And so I think about Joseph in this moment having to hear those words and then try to reconcile and believe those words himself in the moment for the first time going, you're telling me that you weren't with anybody and yet you're with child, right? So this is one of those strongly, strongly debated topics, not just in that moment, but continuing on in the first century of the church. And then even well beyond that, even to today, people go, I just have a hard time with that. And wrapping our minds around the fact that Jesus was placed into the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit. It's a hard thing. But I will say this, nonetheless, one person's ignorance doesn't change the truth. Truth cannot be shaped or manipulated simply because somebody disagrees or doesn't believe. But Mary gets the most attention because of this immaculate conception, and it's rightful. It's, it's, it's rightfully given. So let's look right at verse 18. Let's start there as we kind of work through this text today. And what's taking place? What is, what is Joseph really up against? What is he walking through? What is his mind going through? What is he feeling? What is he looking at? So Joseph and Mary at this point, uh, they are called, what we would call it engaged, right? In our culture, in our context, we would say they were engaged. But the, the, the Bible uses a term called betrothed betrothed. And that would be a different way uh, of looking at it. Now, so in our context, if you are engaged, I'll, I'll use a friend of mine, for example, I have a friend who was engaged to this girl for about eight months and realized she was not the right girl in that the relationship itself was toxic. It was not healthy. It wasn't good. And he thought to himself with wisdom and counsel from outsider saying, be done with this, move on, except you to this isn't right, this isn't good, and this is not gonna end well if y'all get married, right? And so he goes to her and, and he drives, she lived out of state, so he drives to her, sets up a meeting with her, they meet together, and he says, this isn't gonna work, I'm sorry, I can't marry you. Hard conversation, difficult moment, uh, and, and had a really difficult time through that, and I asked him how it was in the end, he said, man, it was terrible. Uh, she became angry, and, and, and then he got angry, so you could just see the toxic levels within the relationship. In the end, had to fight hard to get the ring back that he had spent all this money. It was just a real big mess. But in the end, the conversation only took place between the two of them. And that was what ended the engagement. So here in, in, this, in this context and in this position, we have Mary and Joseph who are betrothed. Now, the way it worked in the context within the Jewish culture at this time is when the children were very, very young, the families would get together, right? And the fathers would begin to talk and say, I have a daughter, you have a son. Maybe they should get married together. And in that moment, at a very young age, as this was kind of planned for them and, and kind of worked through together, the, the fathers would get together and they would have this conversation. And then the two children in that moment would then be engaged. So there's no legal binding agreement in this moment, but simply it's an understood uh, that, that, that these two will eventually get married, right? It is an arranged marriage situation. Uh, you know, it's this... I could get into the whole mindset and the thought process behind it and why it was successful and it worked in that context is 
the thought process behind it, I have a friend who was actually, uh, who's married now and was in an arranged marriage, and it, they have an incredible marriage. And basically, it's the thought of the parents go, who loves you more than we do? Who cares about you more than we do? Who wants you to be happier more than we do? And so this is how the process works, right? And so this is the thought process, the way it's operating. So in this moment, as very young children, they are then engaged. So it is understood that by the culture and the people around them that, that Mary, at this young age, is, is, betra- is engaged to Joseph, Now, as they grow up, they get a little older, they move forward with those proceedings, and then they kind of nail down the arrangement and the agreement, and it becomes legally binding. In this moment, they are then betrothed. So now they are in between engaged and married, yet within the culture, the the terms husband and wife would be used. So that's why when you see she was pledged to be married to a man and then her husband, Joseph, right? And you see that that is because the terminology used during betrothal would be very similar. For all, for all intents and purposes, they are essentially married, yet they don't live together and the marriage has not yet been consummated, right? Does that make sense? So they are viewed in culture and society as married. Here's where it gets a little more complicated. While they have not yet had a wedding and they are not yet married, there is no simple end to the relationship at this point as if they were still engaged. This is now legally binding. So for him to separate from this marriage, for him to get out of this marriage would mean that he would have to divorce her. So let's look at the very first point today. So that we have a little understanding as to what is happening here historically. In verse 19, it says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. The first thing this morning is this, Joseph was compassionate. And you think, how in the world does that show compassion? This woman comes to him and says, I'm pregnant with a child who is not your, his child. And he's like, fine, then I'm going to divorce you. Here's where the compassionate side comes from. The law states that her penalty is death. We see Jesus uh, there in his, in his ministry in John chapter 8. We see the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees come to Jesus with this woman. And they throw her down and they say, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. And the law says that she must be put to death. And we see that. And then they say to Jesus, what do you say? And we see in the story that Jesus kind of kneels down and he's writing in the sand. We don't know what he, he, he was writing. He might've been sitting there writing out all the sins of all the Pharisees in that moment. Maybe if it was me, I probably would, which is why I wasn't Jesus. Uh, and be like, you, you know what you did. Now they all know what you did, right? You know what I mean? It was kind of this bad deal, right? But we don't know what he's writing. He's writing something in the sand. He's, 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 it just says he's writing in the sand. And then Jesus's response in that moment is, Whoever is without sin, cast the first stone, right? And we see this moment in this moment of compassion. Here's what we know. The Deuteronomy chapter 22, uh, verse 22 through 25 actually tells us what the, the law that is being referred here is. And essentially it says this, if a, a man and a woman are caught in the act of adultery, both of them are to be put to death because you have to then cast the evil out of the group. That's the idea behind the law. If there is sin, you kill them. Is that fair? which is why when we see Paul, right, saying the wages of sin is what? Death, right? It is a reflection of the law. But now Paul is in, this is a whole other message, is then referencing uh, hell and eternal damnation, right? So that's where he's at. But we see the law basically says, this woman deserves death. 
she deserves death. Joseph, knowing the law, and it says he was faithful to the law. Faithful to the law. Meaning that he was aware of the law, he lived by the law, he walked by the law, which meant that he understood that what she did was considered sin under the law. And so because of the relationship that he had had with Mary as a young boy and as a young child growing up with her, probably did in fact love her at this point because he had been told his whole life, this is who you're marrying, this is what it's going to be. You cultivate that relationship and now this comes along and he says, fine, I'll divorce her quietly. Because what is he trying to do? He's trying to keep her from death. The public humiliation and the public disgrace that she would have been thrust into would have been being pulled in front of the people and and the teachers of the law and the Pharisees saying, this woman has been with another man and she is not married. Therefore, the penalty for her sin is death. So when I say Joseph was compassionate, it's because Joseph recognized the fact that what what she was then claiming and saying she was with another man. There's no other logical explanation for what has taken place other than the fact that she has been with a man and is now pregnant with that man's child. And so the due penalty for her sin is death. And Joseph thought, there's a better way and I can do this quietly and nobody even has to know. Joseph was compassionate. Joseph showed compassion to Mary. His heart broke for her. I'm sure on the inside, Joseph felt betrayed. I'm sure that he felt heartbroken and and, and hurting because of what had taken place. But at the same time, he thought, I'm not going to put her through that. I'm not going to subject her to all that. I'm going to show her compassion. Now, I'll say this. I've never been in that situation, right? I've never walked in his shoes in that moment. I've never had any of those moments, but I have seen Maury Povich. <laughs> I just got a wow from my wife. This is pretty good. Uh, but here's, here's what... Oh, here's what happens, right? Whenever you watch the Maury Povich show, uh, 98% of the time, because whenever you're waiting in a doctor's office, that's what you see is Maury Povich. I don't know why that's what they pick, but... They tend to always pick that. But, but what, what you see all the time is, is, is kind of like the, the paternity, you know, like who's your daddy test, right? And like that's just like constant on this show. And like, that is, seems to be the theme of the show now. It's like all Maury does is like, are you the daddy? No, you're not. Because that's 80% of the time. No, you're not, right? But here's what I have found I was on the show is that it's never this, oh, well, that's all right. We can end this quietly and just go, No. No, no, it's never that way. It's like, you are not the baby's father. Chairs are flying. Like the bleep button and the blur is happening all over the face. Because you're like, oh man, this just escalated in a hurry. I mean, they're like amped up and people are screaming. Punches are thrown. Like, I mean, it gets intense in a hurry. So, so we see now, let's back up 2,000 years. And Joseph in this moment is going, I'm not the baby's father. And yet you're with a child. And so he's not only showing compassion. So not only is he going against his legal right to have her punished according to the law, but he is operating contrary to human nature. He's fighting everything inside of him. The law says that he has the right to throw her in front of the the teachers and the Pharisees. He has the right to to put her through everything that the law says is coming to her. And human nature probably screaming inside of him says, 
do it. She deserves this. She's hurt you. And yet he shows compassion. I think even in that moment, it shows why, why our heavenly father would say, I want him to be the earthly father of the son of God. Now, I will say this, that, that I'm sure that, that because he is the Messiah, because he is Jesus, that, that the Lord was going to ultimately see his plan fulfilled through the Son of Man, right? We, we, we can all probably agree on that, that the work that was to be done through Jesus would take place either way, no matter what happened, God would have made a way. And yet the Lord says, because of the compassion in the heart of this man, I want him to be the father on earth over my son. Not that he had to teach him anything, The Lord was going to be, Jesus was the Messiah. Therefore, he was going to develop and become the son of man the way he was supposed to be and the son of God the way he was supposed to be. But nonetheless, the Lord looked at Joseph and said, because of your compassionate heart, because of your desire to to end it, he said, man, that only just solidifies my understanding and my reasoning of who you are and why I want you to be the father of my son. Joseph was compassionate. And the Lord sees his heart and his thoughts. In verse 20, he says this. He says, but after he had considered this. So this is, he was going to divorce her quietly and end it, right? Not to, to put her through all of it. So he says this, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The second thing this morning is this. Joseph was comforted. Joseph was comforted. Have you ever had the difficult moments and the strong, strong, you know, like hurts in your life and the people around you come to console you and to, to encourage you and to try to comfort you and help you? It's a good feeling, right? To go, man, I'm surrounded by people who are, are going to encourage me. I, I guarantee without knowing, and we can only speculate this, but that, that there were people around Joseph who were giving him counsel, right? And were trying to say, hey, wisdom says to do this. Wisdom says to do that. And, and maybe they were trying to just encourage him like, hey, it's gonna be all right, buddy. You know, you're gonna make it out of this. And, and I'm sure that in time had, had he put her away quietly, right? Had he divorced her quietly. In time, Joseph would have healed from his hurts. He would have healed from, from the emotional wounds and, and, and the scars that, that he dealt with, right? He, he would have walked through this and in the end would have been triumphant and he could have been victorious over all of this. And in the end, everything would have been okay and he could have gone about his life. But then an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream. And there's no greater comfort to be found than what the angel says to him in that moment. He receives some serious comfort. The first thing the angel says to him is he says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And I'll I'll sidebar for just a moment that there are things in our lives that God calls us to There are moments that he calls us to and the enemy wants to use the fear tactic to keep us from fulfilling our destiny and our purpose. 
because we look at it and we say, there's no way because the ridicule I'd face, do you know what this would mean to my name? Do you know what this would mean to my family? Do you know what this would do to me because I've stepped out in faith and I've operated and acted as the Lord has called me to do? And, and, and the angel in this moment, he's saying, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. He's saying, this is what you're called to do. This is your purpose. This is your destiny. Don't be afraid to step in it. And so many times we operate in fear and it keeps us from walking in the fulfillment of the calling that God has placed on our lives. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. That doesn't mean that it's going to be a bed of roses every time we wake up and be like, well, I'm walking in the will of the Lord. It's going to be a great day. You know what? I'm going to tell you straight up. It's not always going to be great. There's going to be awful days, but if you are walking in faith, if you are obedient to the Lord and stepping out, even afraid, doing it afraid at times and saying, I will be faithful to the Lord, God will make a way. That's why he says, the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. And he's saying, don't be afraid. Step out, walk in the power, walk in the love, walk in the sound mind that is given to you by the Lord so that you can do what you were called to do. And I don't know what the calling is on your life. I know some, some of you I know, but, but I don't know. And, and it may be different from person to person, and I guarantee you it is. And God has called you to unique places and to do unique things in the world that you live in and in the life that you operate in. And if you will just be willing to step out in faith and say, Lord, lead me today. Lead me today. There's no greater comfort than knowing that God is for you. He is for you. So who can be against you? And then Joseph in this moment had to be reminded. And the angel said, don't be afraid. You know, many, many times, I mean, now this is in a dream, but a lot of times we say, fear not. The angel comes and says, fear not. Why? Because there was a fear of the presence of the angel. And the angel in this moment doesn't say, don't be afraid of me. He said, don't, he didn't say, don't be afraid of me. Don't be afraid of my presence. He says, don't be afraid of what you are called to do. And sometimes God calls us to big things. And sometimes we, we look at stuff and we go, okay, maybe for somebody that's not big, but for me, that's massive. For me, that's huge. And there's no way. And he's saying, don't be afraid of what God has called you to do. Step out. Be comforted by that. Be comforted by the fact that we are not called into a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. And then the angel speaks the greatest words of comfort that can ever come to a person's ears. He speaks the name of Jesus. I love the fact that the angel in this moment uses the name of Jesus as an act of comfort and as an act of motivation because he's the first person. Think about this. Joseph is the first person on earth to be comforted and encouraged by the name of Jesus. There's no greater comfort. There's no greater peace than the name of Jesus. And he uses the gospel. He says he's going to be named Jesus because he's going to save the world from their sin. can save the world from their sin. When I think about Joseph, and, and, and I don't know where his mind was, I don't, know what, I don't know what his exact thoughts were, and I can only speculate, and I won't try to do so or assume or, or, or read into the text that's not there, but, but I can only imagine that if it were me, it would be a difficult, difficult moment. And, and sleep probably would have been a little bit restless that night of going, what am I... How, how did I get into this situation? What went wrong? What happened? And then the angel appears and says, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. And then you hear the name of Jesus. And sure, there were others with the name Jesus, but this was different because now this was the Messiah. 
This was the one who was coming to save the world from their sin. And the angel of the Lord speaks the name of Jesus. And I think it's good for us to be reminded over and over and over of the gospel. It's not good for us to just hear the gospel one time to accept it and to move on and start diving into other things. I think the Bible, the word of God, everything comes back to the central theme of the gospel and the love of the Father for for people who are lost and broken and hurting and that Jesus brings peace. Jesus brings hope. Jesus brings restoration. But it all comes back to the fact that Jesus came and died and rose again so that we can walk in the peace that comes from Jesus and only in Jesus. There is no peace like Jesus. There's no peace like Jesus. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It is a reflection of the character of Jesus. It's not the absence of conflict. It's just recognizing and understanding that I can now take on Jesus. In the midst of everything around me, in the midst of what I'm facing, what I'm walking through, what I'm going through, in the midst of hearing that the woman I'm pledged to be married to is now with a child, and yet I can go, you know what, but the Lord is in this. God is in this. God is in control. And this is where Joseph finds himself. And the angel speaks the name of Jesus. I can only imagine that there was just such calm when he woke up that morning going, I don't know how. I don't understand it all and I never will fully understand it all but I can trust in the Lord knowing that I have a peace that passes all understanding. That's why Isaiah says that he will be known as the Prince of Peace. There's no greater peace that can be found than that in the name of Jesus. And I love the thought that that Joseph is the very first to experience the peace that comes from the name of Jesus. Because it's only in Christ, it's only in Christ that we find that supernatural peace. Like I said, you may have heard the gospel message a thousand times over. You may have heard the name of Jesus a million times over. And let me remind you and just refresh your heart that it is never enough. We just need to constantly be reminded of the goodness of Jesus. We need to be constantly reminded of the peace and the love that he has for us just as a refreshing and a renewal in our hearts to say, oh, Jesus, you are so good to me. We can never become satisfied with how much we've heard Jesus. We can never become satisfied with how much we've heard the gospel. I heard years ago a girl saying it broke my heart on Easter Sunday. She said, why do we have to do this again every year? We heard it last year. And I almost wanted to, there's a lot of things I wanted to do that I would never do. There was some righteous indignation where you go, I was ready to flip the tables over and heard, like, money changer, get out of here. I don't know. That's how I felt. Because we can never become too comfortable with the gospel. It should always, always be something that stirs our heart for the Lord. It should always be something that, that, that turns our hearts back to the Father to say, oh, thank you, Lord, for your son. The gospel should never be something that we just become just, just calloused to in a sense of going, yeah, I've heard it. Oh, it should always stir our affection for the Father. It should always stir our affection and our hearts back 
to the Lord. And the third thing is this. Joseph was committed to the Lord's commands. Verse 24 says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to his son. And he gave him the name Jesus. He gave him the name Jesus. In the Jewish culture, and still some today, there's a heavy significance in the name that's given to a child. And the name carries so much weight and significance, right? And a lot of times in that culture, a lot of times it was the passing on of the name of the father in some form or fashion, right? But in this moment, Joseph is mandated by the Lord to give him the name Jesus. And when he does so, in doing so, he is staking his claim as the father of that child here on earth. He says, I am stepping into the role of father for this child. When I name him, I am claiming him and saying, I have called him Jesus. I am naming that child. It's, it's a significant moment for the father. And that's why when you even see Zechariah with John the Baptist in, in Luke, when he says, uh, he says, his name shall be John. And they're like, well, there's no John in your family. Why are you doing this? Right? We see that in that struggle. But it was a significant moment. And it was the role and the responsibility of the father to name the child. And so the Lord who sees this compassionate man who has a heart for the law, who to be righteous, right? That shows his righteousness. He says, you are the man that I am calling to be. You shall give him the name Jesus. Now, we know that ultimately then that the name came from the Lord and that God ultimately then names this child. And so it's coming from the heavenly father through his earthly father to name him. And it's a significant moment of him staking his claim and his role as the father of this child. It's a heavy moment. Looking back now, and it's easy for us to look back and, and, and see what that, that meant that he was is saying that, okay, Lord, I will step out in faith and I will be obedient to do what you have called me to do and to fulfill what you have commanded me to do. And I will take on the pressure and the responsibility of being the father of the Messiah. Because it was explained to him. It was laid out to him. It wasn't just like, hey, and there's a surprise. If you go be his dad, he's going to be the Messiah. Right? It's, not, it's not laid out. It's like, here's what it is. When you step out and you say, I will be this child's father, all of a sudden it, it, you go, okay, they told me he's going to be the Messiah. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He's the one that has come to save the world from their sin. And I am stepping up and saying, yes, I'll be the father of this child. Either you have, you have one of two responses. Either you feel more pressure than you've ever felt in your entire life to get it right, or you have complete faith and trust that, you know what, I can't go wrong because he's the Lord's son and no matter what happens, he's gonna turn out okay, right? So you have two extremes. And I think they kind of lean into the heavy pressure side of things because we see them kind of frantically searching for their child when they go back and find them in the temple. And they're like, oh, what did we lost the Messiah? Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's a scary moment. Yeah, I mean, at least it would, like, dear Lord, please don't smite me in this moment for losing your child. And he's like, I know where he is, backtrack. Right, anyways. But think of the heaviness of that going, oh man, like, like can it, like just a wide range, for me, it'd be just a wide range of emotions. Like what if as a baby, Jesus does something really cute and you start to laugh and you're like, wait, can I laugh at Jesus? Like, is that allowed? Or he gets up and he knocks over the vase made by like 14 grandmothers ago when they were in Egypt still and it breaks and like, can I get mad at Jesus? Like, is this, 
Anyways, that's where my mind goes. So, but just the thought of him saying, I'm going to step out and walk in the fulfillment of what was commanded to me, and I'm going to be obedient to the Lord. And I think that's one of the greatest things that we see between both Mary and Joseph is this, their humbled willingness to be committed to the Lord. Just the humility in which they walk in and say, Father, whatever you want from me, I will do. I'll do it. So when Joseph takes up that role and that responsibility, Mary is going to be looked at already because of, of, of what she has done, you know, not what she's done, but what was done in her and that her, her, her then now being with child and stuff, she would be subject to ridicule and everything around her. Now Joseph then coming along as the father, and, and I, I, I would imagine that he wasn't trying to have this conversation with people like, well, it's actually not my baby, but I still love her, right? I don't think he was having that. He's stepping up as the father in that role and saying, yes, I'm going to be the father. And now everyone knowing that she's with child before the marriage. And so then they would be looked at in a society and in a culture as, as two people who were living outside of the law and outside of righteousness and essentially casting a scarlet letter on the two of them and saying, whatever it means, Lord, we will walk in obedience to what you've commanded us to do. I love that it says Joseph got up. The next day he gets up and says, I'm gonna do what the Lord commanded me to today. I'm not delaying I'm not waiting a couple of days. I'm not gonna sleep on it a few more nights to try to make myself. No, I am going to be obedient now. I'm gonna be obedient in this moment. And I'm gonna respond immediately and say, Lord, whatever you have for me today. I've had moments in my life where I felt like the Lord spoke to me and asked me to do something. And, and, and you go, if I don't react now, the moment will be lost and I cannot be obedient to the Lord. And I've had those moments. Sometimes it's like, you're driving down the road and you see somebody and you feel like the Lord says, oh, go, go help them. And then you just keep driving and you go, ah, I missed it, it's two exits ago now, right? You have that, that struggle and that, that, that battle, right? And then you have those moments where you go, okay, you know what, I'm hitting the brakes, I'm pulling over and I'm stopping. I may be putting my life in danger because there are some crazy people out there who pull some crazy things like, oh, this poor lady's acting like she's got a flat tire, but little do I know there's a guy around the corner with a gun about to take me for all that I got, right? You know, so this is the world we live in, let's call it what it is, right? And so you go, oh, I'm gonna help her, right? But you have those struggles and those moments where you go, okay, Lord, whatever you're step calling me to step out and do, I'm gonna be faithful and obedient in the moment, no matter what the outcome may be. And that's where we find Joseph. He's saying, I know when I step out, not only am I hurting my name, my family name, the reputation, and that was heavy in the culture of the time. That weighed a lot on the people because your communities were so tight-knit and so close. Everyone knew everyone's business because they just lived together, essentially, in these small communities. And nobody left, and nobody moved in. You stayed in your spot, right? And so everything that happens, everyone, so he's saying, I'm willing to put my family's name at, at risk. I'm willing to put my name at risk. I'm willing to do whatever I have to do, just trusting the Lord. And I, I even ask myself, do I have the same level of faith and obedience as Mary and Joseph? Now, God's never gonna ask me to be the father of the Messiah. I understand that. That, that is done and, and, and forever done. But, but there are other things in my world and in my life that am I gonna be faithful and obedient to the Lord in the moment, immediately? Am I gonna be obedient or am I gonna be disobedient? Am I gonna be reacting immediately or, or delayed obedience? Am I gonna respond in the moment or am I gonna wait till the next day? Am I gonna wait till it's, you know, a day late and a dollar short. What, 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 what level of a faith and obedience am I going to walk in personally? 
Am I going to respond when the Lord calls me? Am I going to jump when the Lord says jump? Am I going to go for it? Am I going to step out in faith when he says, Ryan, do this crazy thing with the church? And I go, Lord, if I do that, this could fall terribly. And I, we could all just, the church could be gone. We could lose every, right? You have those moments. And we haven't, by the way, we're not struggling with anything like that. Just put your mind at ease. Uh, that's not where we are in this moment. But there will come a day. Every pastor I've ever talked to is, I hear this all the time. Just wait until the Lord calls you to do something crazy. And be will, are you willing to step out then? And I'm going, <laughs> let me learn how to do this first before uh, you call me to do something crazy. But am I personally, am I willing to step out? And then I ask the question, are you willing to step out? Are you willing to be obedient in the moments when the Lord calls you? And it may just be as simple as, will you share the gospel with your neighbor? Will you share Jesus with your coworker? Will you be a light to those around you? As we talk about the good news, I'll tell you what, Joseph experienced the good news in the greatest way in that moment when the angel appears and says, do not be afraid to take her as your wife. His name will be Jesus. And he hears the comfort and the peace that comes from the name of Jesus. And I'll invite the worship team. He says, are you willing to be obedient in this moment? Are you willing to step out in faith? Are you willing? Are you willing? And that's a hard question to answer at times because we don't know ultimately what will be asked of us. We don't know what will be brought to our table, so to speak. We don't know what God's going to lay in our lap and say, will you do this? The only answer we can have today is either yes or no. Either I will be obedient in all moments. I'll step out in faith. Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you no matter what. I'm going to walk with you no matter what. Whatever you called me into. And that may be a difficult season. It may be something that he's asking you to step out and do. It may be, it may be talking to somebody for the first time. It may be showing love to somebody that, that you have been just estranged from for years and years. It may be the hardest thing that you could ever possibly think to do is to, to reach out and to say, you know what? Because of the love of Jesus in my life, I'm gonna show love to even, even to those who have hurt me so bad. I think it would be natural for Joseph to wanna to respond to Mary with, with hurt and anger. To go, I thought, I thought we were to get married and you're doing this. You know, in the immediate moment, you see Joseph doesn't believe what she says because he's thinking, no, I'm divorcing you. You're, you're, this, is, this isn't right. And what does he do? He, he, in the end, says, no, I'm gonna step out in faith. I'm gonna trust the Lord. So, so I, I look at that and I go, are there people who have hurt us, who have hurt you that you can step out and show the love of Jesus to Say, I'm going to have grace and compassion. One of the things that we don't have in the law is grace and compassion. That's why we needed Jesus. The law was so black and white and there was no, there was no real, you don't see grace a whole lot in the Old Testament. You see a lot of death. You see a lot of sacrifice for the atonement and that's the covering. But we don't see people just going, you know what? It's okay. Jesus brings grace. The law brings recognition of sin. That's why the law is needed, to remind us and show us how, our, how guilty we are. But it's the grace of Jesus. And we see that in Joseph. And 
more than you see in other people operating under the law. So this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed as I, as I bring it to an end, ask this question first because I need to ask this question first but if there's anyone here this morning you would say that you know what I've heard the gospel over and over and over and maybe you've never heard it before the fact that, that we're all sinners and that we needed grace and, and a pardon and, a, and forgiveness and the only way for that to happen was for somebody to pay for our sin for us I heard it said this way yesterday somebody said you know if somebody takes me to lunch and they buy my lunch I'm thankful because they paid for my meal but if I have a debt of billions of dollars and somebody comes and says I want to pay for that my, my level of gratitude is totally different my level of gratitude changes and in, in the same way we are we're lost in our sin with no hope with no hope And Jesus came, and this is why Christmas is so important, because Jesus came and he laid down his life, paying the price, because the only way to pay for sin was through sacrifice. When his blood covered all of our sin, all of our sin. But his death was not the end. In fact, death was only a partial part of the atonement of our sin it was then he was then buried and laid in the tomb and the bible says that on the third day he rose again so he defeated sin he defeated death and he defeated the devil so that we can stand in freedom victorious and and above sin outside of grace is is forgiveness of our sin it is the freedom though to live outside of our sin and so we we see jesus giving all that he has so that we might have eternal life so that we might have forgiveness. And this morning, if you're here and you say, you know what, Pastor Ryan, I need to ask Jesus into my heart. If that's you this morning, on the count of three, just raise your hand. One, two, three. Just real simple. Real simple, real simple. Just want to give everybody a moment, everybody an opportunity, anybody at all this morning. let's do this. The next thing I want to do is as we stop and we reflect on this and in the last couple of weeks have kind of ended with the same thing because we see Mary and Joseph as, as the mother and the father of Jesus who are just obedient to the Lord and willing to step out in, in, in faith and obedience to say, oh Lord, whatever you want from me, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to walk in that. I'm going to be obedient to that. If this morning you say, you know what, God's called me into something or I'm walking through something or the Lord is leading me, whatever it may be. And you say, I just need the faith to continue to be obedient. I need the faith to continue to be strong and to walk through this. If that's you this morning, you're, you know what, my faith is weak right now and I need more faith. I need to be stronger in this moment to trust the Lord, to walk through it. If that's you this morning on the count of three, if you'll just raise your hand. One, two, three. I see a hand. I see another. Anybody else? I see another. I see another. Anybody else this morning? Anybody else this morning? 
Amen. I see another. I know this for sure. I know this for sure that God will never leave you and he will never forsake you. You are not walking alone. You are not walking alone. The Lord wants to carry you through. He wants to walk with you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to build you up. And, 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 and through all of this, you're gonna, he wants you to come out with a greater faith than you've ever had, with a greater trust in the Lord than you've ever had, and, and being willing to say, no matter what, I trust the Lord. And sometimes that's a hard place to be. No matter what, I trust the Lord. Father, this morning, God, you see the hands that were up. God, is just recognition and in a statement of saying, Lord, I need more faith. In a statement of saying, Lord, I need my faith strengthened because I need you to walk with me. I need to know, God, that I can lean on you, that I can trust in you, that I can, that I can, I can be with you and count on you. And knowing, God, Lord, I, I know it in my mind. Let me know it in my heart. Let me walk with a greater faith than I've ever had. God, with the hands that were raised, there are so many different things that they are facing and walking through. Lord, from, from, from difficulties in finances, Lord, to difficulties in health. Lord, from diff- Lord, you see every need. God, and none of them have caught you off guard. None of them have caught you by surprise. And none of them are, are, are too big for you. But God, you are greater. And Lord, one of the greatest things we can do as we draw near to Jesus is that we see a a new perspective of the problems we face. So God, as you increase our faith, God, I pray that you draw us closer to you, Lord. And as we draw closer to you, we begin to see the difference in size between the problems we face and the magnitude of the God we serve. So Lord, I pray that as we draw near to you, Lord, that you increase in us. And as as we see you for who you are, Lord, that we'll see what we're facing for what it is. God, that ultimately in the end, the greatest thing in this world is your love for us, your grace for us, and the redemption of our souls. And that in all of that, we can trust you because you care for us. So Lord, I pray, increase faith. Increase faith, oh God, to continue to be obedient, to continue to walk through it, to continue to face it and say, with the Lord with me, I can carry on. Whatever it means, I'm committed to doing what the Lord has led me to. We thank you for it, God. We give you glory. We give you honor for it in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God is good, isn't he? Amen. God is good. And we can never lose sight of that. There's a reason why we're calling this series good news. It's not just mediocre or okay news or, oh, there's some news on. This is totally different than turning on Channel 8, right? Or or NBC or Fox, whatever you choose, right? On your local news. Because usually all it is is really bad news, right? And then that all we ever hear anymore on television. It's like, we've even got to the point where we're like, all right, kids, y'all need to go out of the room. We're going to watch the news now. Like, you, there's a chance you'll see somebody get killed or something. Like, you just, you know, this is crazy. But in the midst of all of this in this world, 
we still have good news. And we have good news that needs to be shared. We have good news that needs to be carried. We have good news that needs to be taken outside of the walls of our church. Because the world needs good news. The world needs good news. I think about it, we have uh, one of those Amazon Alexa show things in our kitchen. And she has a little thing that'll come up that'll say, you know, ask me about good news. And be like, Alexa, tell me some good news. And she'll give like some positive story of like somebody rescuing a kitten out of a drainage ditch or something. I don't know. Right. And it's always something like, oh, well, that was good news. Like that was better. But it's never, it's never really good news. It's like, oh, well, that made me feel good. It's totally different when it's the gospel. I want to try to figure out a way to be like, Alexa, tell me good news and be like, oh, let me tell you about Jesus. I don't see Amazon going for that, but it's worth a shot. There's nothing compares to the good news of Jesus. Let me pray with you. Father, Lord, we thank you for your grace and we thank you for your love. And we thank you that you sent your son to die for us. And so, Lord, I pray through this Christmas season that we do not lose sight of why we celebrate Christmas. Lord, it's good to be with family and it's good to be with friends and it's good to celebrate and and we give gifts. And and, and Lord, I pray that, that in all of that, in all of that, that you're magnified, that you are lifted high, that you're exalted, that Jesus remains at the forefront of all things that Jesus remain at the forefront of all things we thank you Father we give you glory we give you honor for it knowing Lord that you are doing great things in your church and you're doing great things in your people so Lord we pray that you help us to continue to walk with increased faith and increased obedience with the peace that comes from the name of Jesus We thank you for it, Lord. We give you glory. We give you honor for it. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God. And we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.